0: To those who don't know me, my name is Mark Galvis, and as you can see, I am uh, both young and, by the grace of God, single, so I'm not the senior pastor of the church. Uh, I'm just the intern for the summer. I'm helping out Pastor Ryan Becker in his ministry, and I'm trying to learn from him as much as I can. Now, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. We're going to stop there, and I'm going to tell you a small little story. I was canvassing in the beautiful, wonderful city of Babylon, also known as Los Angeles, California. And I was going around, you know, for those who don't know what canvassing is, canvassing is when you have a bunch of books, and when you go and you try to go door to door, knocking on people's doors, and you ask if they want to you know, give you a donation and you give them a book. Whether it be a Steps to Christ, whether it be a Great Controversy, you know, stuff like that. Has anyone been canvassing? Can you please raise your hand? Anybody? Okay, I'm talking to the church, my bad. So so we, we go door to door, and we try to bring the gospel to each of these doors. Now, I don't know what your opinion is on canvassing, but I did not like canvassing. It was hot, it was humid, I had to run door to door, I was a broke college student, so I really wasn't doing it for the gospel per se, but I was doing it for the money, and that's not a good motivation, but I was still going door to door, and I remember there was always this one person in every canvassing group that is way too safe to be in the group, and this person is always selling books, this person is always getting the book through the door, this person is the best salesman out out of everybody, and that wasn't me, unfortunately. you know, I felt bad because I was the only student of theology in the, entire, in the entire group. I'm supposed to be the one who's, who's going to be the best one. I'm supposed to put these books through the doors, but I can't. And the one who was, quote unquote, beating me was not just not a theology student, but was a pre-med student. And so I remember this one time I prayed like, Lord, please, if you're real, please help me sell more than her today. Amen. So we go in the van, they put us in the van, and we're going to this one neighborhood in Los Angeles. And as we get to the neighborhood, they put us in partners. And so we're going to call the the girl Jessica. That wasn't her name, but, you know, we're going to call her Jessica. We're call her Jess. So the driver said, Jess, you're going to be at my left, and you're going to go from this door all the way back to the neighborhood. And Mark, you're going to be at my right, and you're going to do the same thing, but just on the other side of the street. And so you're going to start from that first door all the way to the back. And so, you know, I stepped out of faith. And I knew, because I prayed that morning, that I was going to sell more than her. And she was feeling over-spiritual that day. And so she asked, hey, can we pray before we go? And I said, yeah, for sure. I'll pray for you. And we pray, And she says, Lord, uh, please help us reach the souls of these people. Amen. I was like, wow, that's so comforting. Good for you. And it was my turn to pray. And so I said, Lord, you know my bills. Amen. So I grab my bag, I grab my books, you know what I'm saying? I mean, sorry. So I go to the first door, and she goes to that first door. And the first door that I go to, um, I I give a second, a third prayer, because I know that when there's more prayer, there's more power. But I wasn't praying, you know, to reach souls. I was just praying because I needed some money. Uh, if you need money, raise your hand, don't raise your hand. So I go to the first door, I knock, and uh, I'm feeling kind of nervous. But, you know, I do the canvas. I tell them, you know, we're just trying to prove health in the community, and would you want to give a donation? And this person just looks at me like I'm the biggest fool in the world. But I continue, I persist, and then this person actually gives me a $20 bill, and I give them a cookbook. And I said, oh, wow, God, you're real. You're absolutely real. Thank you, Lord. And I, I keep going. And it's, it's easy to praise God when things are going well. So I I keep going to the next door, and what's good about this is that my partner is on the other side of the street, and so I can see that she's not getting books. And what's even better is that we as canvassers have radios. So when you make a sale, you tell everybody. Everybody can hear that you made a sale. So I grab my radio, and I'm like, mobile one, as in the leader, uh, cookbook, amen. And so I, I put it down, and so everybody can hear that Mark has a book. And so I keep, I'm keeping up score, and I go to the next door, and I get two books out. And I said, wow, the Lord is with me today. And, you know, I'm keeping score, and I have three books, and she has zero. Obviously, because I'm God's anointed or something. And so I keep going, I keep going, and I keep going through the doors, and at the end, I get five books on that side of the neighborhood. And I'm like, wow, I'm so humble. I got five books. And the other girl had zero books. But she was the one who always got books out. She was the one who was always getting people in. And she, was, she, she used to finish with 20 books every single day. And this was just the morning. And so I had sold five books. And she had sold zero books. And it felt good. It felt so good, church. And so I'm done. And I'm waiting for her. And she has three more doors. She has three more doors left in that neighborhood. And I'm waiting for her. And I can see her. And in those last three doors, she goes to the third door. She knocks. She does her canvas. And she gets four books out in that third door. So I say, okay, it's not going to hurt as much. Uh, I see what you're doing, Lord. Good job. And then she goes to the second to the last door. She knocks. A lady comes out. She's so impressed by her by her story that she wants to study medicine that she brings her husband out. I'm like, help me, Jesus, please. May she not save him this time. And... The couple likes them, likes her so much that she buys six books. Ooh. And in this moment, I start doubting my faith, of course. And she goes to the last store, and she gets one more book out. So if you did the math, she sold in the first store. Do you guys remember what she sold? Four books. In the second door, she sold? So how many books is that? Ten. Ten. Ooh, good job. And in the last one, she sold one. How many books is that? 11 books. She sold 11 books and I sold five books. So we get into the car and and she's, you know, tears are streaming down her face. She said, Mark, I can't believe I did it. I'm like, good for you. And we go to the car. We go to the van and there's, you know, all all the canvassers get in the car. And the worst part about, you know, this is that we all have to say our blessings of the morning. We all have to share our testimony. And so, one person says, I sold two books. Another one says, I sold three books. And then we come to her, and she says her entire testimony that she couldn't, she can't believe that she did it, oh, that she felt the anointing, and that she's do, she was doing it so well. And she can't believe that he had, she had 11 books out, and so she prays for us. And then the driver says, okay, Mark, how about you? I said, I got five books, and, you know, God is good. So we're done. And what turns out happening is that she ended the day with 25 books. I still had my five books by the end of the day. So she, she ended up selling 21 books, and I just had five books at the end of the day. And I said, Lord, I study theology. I'm going to be poor when I grow up. Can not you make up for it right now? And so, you know, all these things are going through my head. And what happened is that I fell to the demon of comparison. I started comparing myself to someone else, and when their duty and our duties was the same. The saving of souls. Church, I want to ask you today, and you don't have to answer me with a loud voice, but have you ever compared yourself? Have you ever compared yourself to your spouse, your friend, your boyfriend or girlfriend, or your teacher, or people that you don't even know, but you compare themself, yourself to them? When we, when we look at um, 1 Samuel chapter 3, we encounter a little boy called Samuel. And Samuel, he's a, he's a little boy who, you know, he, he's like the intern of the sanctuary. He's like me, and his boss is Eli. Now, Eli is the high priest. Eli is the pastor. Like, if there was a mega church, Eli was the pastor. So Eli is the most capable. Eli is capable of, you know... Doing communion, he's able to break bread, drink wine, and wash a member's foot all at the same time. He is that capable of being a pastor. Eli could dedicate a baby and pray for it at the same time. Eli was capable of being a pastor. When no one did the musical offering, he got up and he sung. Eli was good at what he did. But Samuel was a little boy. Samuel was, his mom was Hannah, and Hannah was not able to, to give kids. And so in in those times, it was very bad if you couldn't give kids because the only use for a woman in those times was to give children. But then when Hannah prayed, the Lord gave her a son, and the son was Samuel. And Samuel did not have a mother growing up. He only saw her once a year, and she brought him a small coat, and that was it. And for the rest of the year, Samuel was alone. And Samuel was bullied by Eli's children. Samuel was... You know, that kid with no friends because he was always at church. So when we come to 1 Samuel chapter 3, we encounter a Samuel that has been bullied. We encounter a Samuel that's doubting. We encounter a Samuel that is faithful despite the condition. Let's go back to 1 Samuel chapter 3. Now, the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days, there was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim, so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again, and so he went and lay down. So this happens you know, a number of times. This happened a total of three times. And the third time that Samuel comes to Eli, Eli says, Next time you hear Samuel, Samuel, what's, what should you say? Here I am, Lord. So we skip down to verse 10. And the Lord came and stood, verse 10, calling as other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel. At which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. First Samuel two twelve calls the sons of Eli worthless men. They did not know the Lord. In fact, the King James version calls them sons of Belial, and Belial is Satan. So these men were so wicked. You know, it's typical pastor kid story. Pastor kids are messed up. My dad is a pastor, so I can say that. Pastor kids, you know, they're usually messed up. They've been so close to the church that. They hate church. They don't like ministry. And so Eli's kids are messed up. They don't know the Lord. They hate, I mean, let let me tell you how wicked they were. They would steal from the people's sacrifices, and they would take meat for themselves. Imagine if Pastor Ryan and I would grab from your tithes and offerings and buy for ourselves food every single day. I don't know if you all would have a problem with that, but I hope not. I mean, I I hope you do. And so this, the, another thing that the, the sons of Eli would do, Hophni and Phineas, they would sleep with the women that were in the sanctuary. So all the people who were coming into the sanctuary, when they would see the women that were in there, they knew what was happening with the other priests. And the third thing that they would do, that they did later in their life, was they took the ark of the covenant, the most holy, you know, in the most holy of the, of the part of the sanctuary, and they took it out to war. Hophni and Phineas were wicked people. But here's the thing. Listen, church. Hophni and Phinehas were wicked, but Hophni and Phinehas had position. Did you know that position has the ability to elevate nobodies? Because there's a difference between leaders and there's a difference with people in position. There's a difference between pastors. There's a difference between shepherds. There's people that have no idea, no capability of being in the position that they're in and they're still there. Position has the capability of elevating nobodies. Hophni and Phinehas did not know the Lord, yet they were what? Priests. So very easily, Samuel could have said, really God? You put these men above me? You're going to put people that sleep with the women in the sanctuary? You're going to put people that eat from the sacrifice of the people above me? You're going to put people that don't even respect you? Or Samuel could have also said, Lord, I pray every day. Lord, I'm the most humble. Lord, I, have, I was born in this church, and now I'm still here and serving you. Where have you been this entire time? But what does Samuel do despite Hophni and Phinehas having a position higher than himself? 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1 tells us the answer. It says, he was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. The Lord... Sorry, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days, verse 1, there was no frequent vision. I mean, they were so wicked that the Lord didn't even want to speak to them, but they were in the position of power. Now, what the Lord was looking for, the Lord was not looking for capability. It was looking for availability. I'm going to say that again. The Lord was not looking for capability. The Lord was looking for availability. Hophni and Phinehas were capable. Hophni and Phinehas were the pastor's kids. They knew the church inside and out. Eli, he preached magnificent sermons. Eli would stand at the door and greet everybody and knew everybody by name, including all the guests. Eli was so good at his job because he was capable. But Samuel was available. We see in verse 1 that he was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. Verse 26, chapter 2 tells us, Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with men. Are you available to the voice of God? Because many times when we compare ourselves to other people, we compare ourselves in the platform of capability. Right? Let me give you a personal example. When I was in high school, I was very competitive. I still am. I love winning. Like, I love winning. Um, I, like, I hope I get to heaven first. I want to win so bad in everything I do. And so, that's a lie. And, you know, in high school, we had, and, 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 how do I say this? My, let me just say it. in In my sophomore year, I was dumb. I didn't care about, I didn't, I didn't care about school. Um, and the people around me were super smart. And I had this quote-unquote friend that was a female and that was super smart in class. And so I would compare myself to her, you know, the first semester of our sophomore, the first semester of our relationship. And so when I went for Christmas break, I said, I'm gonna get better grades than her. And so I studied, I stayed up at nights because I wanted to win. I wanted to be her so bad, so right? And because I compared myself so many times, I compared my capability with her because she was able to do this, and I wasn't able, I wanted to do it, right? And it turns out that when we looked at, when we came back from the semester, looking back at the grades, I was like, I know I got better grades than her. And because I I put in so much work, and I knew that I was capable, as capable as her, or more than capable. And so we look at the list, and the list is public. And it says, you know, high on a roll, distinguished list. And I see and I look at the names, and my name is there. And I said, wow. Oh, Lord, so good. And, and I don't see her name in the list. And I say, and you know, I, I want to contain my excitement. Because I, I don't want anyone to know, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm happy that I made it and she didn't. But then I look at the top of the list. I missed her name. And it's a, a special congratulations to this girl <laughs> for getting the highest GPA out of all these people. Many times when we compare ourselves, we compare our capability to another person. Oh, she's a better mother. He's a better parent. He's smarter than me. She's smarter than me. He's more healthy than I am. Or he could run finances better than I can. Or She's better at doing this and she's better at doing that. And so we compare ourselves in every area of capability. But we never ever compare ourselves in terms of our availability. Have you ever heard the phrase, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the qualified. called? I want to tell you that you, you're already called. Everyone here is called, but are you available to be qualified? Are you available to be molded? Are you available to listen to the voice of God in the morning? Are you avail- How do you expect God to trust you with bigger things if you can't be faithful in the small things? Do you wake up and do you do your personal devotions? That's a small example. Are you available to the voice of God when you wake up and when you want to hear from him clearest in the morning? Do you make a special effort to hear from your God, your creator? Are you available every single day to hear from your creator? Because if we cannot be capable, if we are not available in the small tasks of life, how can we expect God to entrust us with the bigger things? Let's look at another example. Please turn to... 1 Samuel chapter 16 1 Samuel chapter 16 We're going to look at verses 5 through 13 And this is a narrative that we've known from from our early ages in Sabbath school Or our guests from other churches We're going to look at verse 5 through 13 And we're going to break it down So Samuel has now grown up Samuel's a big boy Samuel is not the small little boy that we encountered in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Samuel is now grown up. He is the thing in Israel. He is the prophet. He's not a prophet. He's the prophet. And so he's coming now to the house of, oh, help me, Lord, what was his name? Jesse. He was coming to the house of Jesse to anoint a new king because Saul cannot do it. So he's coming to the house of Jesse to anoint him. So 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 5. And he said, Samuel, peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves, talking to Jesse's family, and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they, the family, came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Eliab is one of Jesse's sons. Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Let's stay in verse 6. Samuel looks at Eliab and says, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. What was Samuel judging Eliab on? It starts with a C. I've said it many times. Samuel was judging Eliab on his capability. Eliab looked good. He dressed up because he wanted to be king and he wanted to be anointed. And in the eyes of everybody, Samuel, excuse me, Eliab was ready to be king. There's this book by Malcolm Gladwell, he's a psychologist. It's called Blink. I don't know how how many of you have read it. Blink is a very interesting book. Its thesis is that experts have the ability to intuitively tell, to make crucial decisions in the first two to three seconds of looking at something. So, you know, while rookies and amateurs and beginners have to go through the process time and time again, experts have gone through it so many times that they don't have to go through that process, but the first three seconds that they look at something, they already know it. So Samuel is capable. He's been available and now he's capable. Samuel is the prophet. And so when he looks at Eliab, he's been so long in ministry. He's been so long in the business of anointing that he forgot the process of molding. He's been so long in the the process of anointing that, that he forgot the process of molding. You know that there is a difference between the anointing and the molding. The molding hurts. The molding is where it takes time, where God refines you. We have this song called Refiner's Fire. Purify my heart. Let me be as gold and precious silver. And it's a beautiful song until you realize what it's talking about. Refiner's Fire. Maybe some of you have been put through the fire. Some of you have had problems and troubles. And coming to church was not the most enjoyable of experiences because the God that we're singing about is not the God that you're experiencing in your life. We're being molded in those things. And we don't like molding. And it's while we're being molded many times that we compare ourselves to other people. We compare our molding to their anointing. 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse verse 7, let's continue. But the Lord said to Samuel... Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as men sees. Men looks on the outward what? Appearance. But the Lord looks on the? Come on, say it, church. The Lord looks on the? Heart. The Lord looks on the heart. That's a good thing for everybody. You know, because not all of us are handsome or beautiful. Some of us are, (laughs) I'm not going to say it. But the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart of people. It's interesting because the same way that Samuel judged Saul is the same way that Samuel wants to judge the anointed. Verse 8. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Can you imagine how awkward it is for Jesse's sons to go... And parade around Samuel. Jesse's sons come, and Samuel says, not this one, and so they gotta go. Then the next one comes, and then Samuel is right here, so he comes, not this one, not this one, not this one, not this one. Seven times, not this one. Uh-huh. Not you. You ugly. Not this one. And so he continues on. It's a cycle. Because, and then, when he gets to the seventh person, I'm sure the seventh one is exciting, because you know, seven is a biblical number. Seven is a number of perfection. Seven is when you've made it, so he's going through his prophecy, the seventh brother is coming, and he comes forward to Samuel, not you. That's it. And so Jesse's out of his mind because he thought that his his siblings were going to, his sons were going to be anointed, and he was going to be king, and he was going to be wearing purple, and he was going to show everybody that his sons were the ones. so, is Samuel not going to anoint anyone in Jesse's house? Verse 9, Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Verse 10, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Now in verse 5, we're told that all the brothers went to sacrifice. So that means that when Jesse brought his children to the house, he sent David out to the field. You see what's happening? It's one thing to tell you that you're not capable. It's another one to show you. And when it's your own father... That shows that you're not capable of becoming king? You see, they go to sacrifice as a family. Eight of the sons. But when David, when when Jesse comes with his sons back to the house for Samuel to anoint the one, Jesse tells his kid, Go back to the field. You're not worthy of being here. Go back to the field. If I was David, I would have been mad. Because if the prophet is coming, and I'm the most spiritual out of all my siblings, why do I not have the right to be in there? But we know from Scripture that what happens? David goes out to the field and continues to be a shepherd. He doesn't throw his rod. He doesn't throw his staff and says, I quit. He goes back and still faithful. He is still there. He's still reliable. He's still faithful because his father said so to go out into the field and work. David is the eighth child. David is the eighth son. Verse 11, then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And Jesse said, well, there, there remains yet the youngest, but he's, he is she. and Jesse said, and Samuel said to Jesse, what? And Jesse said, he's keeping the sheep, Samuel. And Samuel said, well, I don't know what it says in your version, but this was mine. And Samuel said to Jesse, send, and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. Now some of you have memorized Psalm 23. And you know, it's very good to memorize Psalms. But think about this. David was so spiritual, he actually wrote the entire book. David was there preaching to the sheep. His only friends were the sheep because his brothers probably didn't even like him. David is there and he you know, he, he, he writes poetry. I mean, who writes poetry? He's this little boy in, in Israel, and he's not even considered for the anointing. And also, and David, we're told that he's actually handsome. David had a membership to, I don't know, the gym, and he went to work out every morning after writing a song. And he would go out and work on his biceps, triceps. He never skipped leg day, I'm sure. But when he was in the gym and he would come back, he would preach to the sheep because no one else would listen to him. I mean, David was every girl's dream. David was every mother's dream. When Jesse and his sons went to the small church, all the girls would look at David. All the mothers would present their girls to David. But David, because he was young and he was faithful, he was like, no, I'm called to be a shepherd. I clock in 9 and I leave at 9 p.m. He really didn't have time for it. David was faithful to his call. David, as we tell by this story, we keep reading Verse 12. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. The Lord is clearly not looking for capabilities. He was looking for reliability. He was looking for faithfulness. Are we reliable in our workplace? Are we reliable to our families? Are we reliable in the small tasks of life? If we are available to the voice of God and we are reliable to the things that Christ gives us, he will make us capable. Instead of comparing yourself to other people depending on your capability, focus on your availability. Affirm your reliability. I'm going to say it again, just the final two points. Instead of comparing your capability, strengthen your commitment, strengthen your faithfulness. And instead of comparing your capability, affirm your availability. Just one more point and we're done. If you're sleepy, uh, or the person beside you is sleepy, just use your God-given elbow. Just give them a little note. <laughs> now, for my last point, if you've seen um, the... The bulletin, the sermon title of this this story is M&M's and Skittles. So, obviously I brought here um, what the Lord made in the eighth day of creation, M&M's and (laughs) Skittles. And so, I brought two clear glasses. Um, Ryan doesn't know that I brought them, praise God. So, here's the thing. I actually searched stuff on the internet if there are any similarities between M&M's and Skittles. And if I asked you if there were any similarities, what would you tell me? Yes. yes. Yes? Well, here's the thing. For me, there's none. I don't think there were any similarities because it's depending on the taste, right? No. So, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> thing is, I was, you know, my perspective was short because there are people that think there's similarities between M&Ms and Skittles. Let's start with the packaging. Both are made from the you know, same material. I mean, they're different, you know. It's the one, Skittles is red, and this one is brown, I guess. Okay, whatever, I'm sorry. But the packaging is kind of similar, the material. So I'm going to pour out M&Ms here. This is not communion, don't get excited. M&Ms right here, and I'm going to pour out the Skittles here. Oh, I didn't know this was here. (laughs) Let me open it up. By the way, fun fact, um, I used to eat Skittles and M&Ms so much as a little kid that when I went to the dentist after three years, I don't know why my mother was testing the load, we went to the dentist and the dentist told us that I had eight cavities and I needed a crown. And this was at the age of 19. Can someone help me out? Open the Just stuff it in there, just stuff it in there. You're right. I'll put it right there. So can everyone see what is here? So M and M's, and we got Skittles here. Now, the similarities that I found out between these two products was that their color was the same. The, you know, the texture—they have both a hard shell. One is more chewy, but one is more, you know, chocolaty. But they both have, the, you know, same three characteristics: the colors, the texture—you know—they're both crunchy, and the packaging. But we choose one of them, either of them, because of our craving. We choose one of them because we can, and simply because. So if I want M&Ms, what do I choose? M&Ms. If I want Skittles, I choose Skittles. The thing is, there's more things that make them similar than there are things that make them different. But the reason why we buy M&Ms and the reason why we buy Skittles is because of our cravings, is because of what we feel in the moment. And so, I found out, you know, by comparing these two things, that it's not every time that I want Skittles, it's not every time that I want M&Ms, but it's depending on what I want at the time. I believe that when God chooses people, it's not the fact that one is more capable than the other, it's not the fact that, you know, he prefers one. God is a God of timing. God is a God that he doesn't just do coincidences, he's a God of timing. And when he needs you, he will choose you from the rest. And not not only that, but when we focus on the similarities of these two, there's more things that make them similar rather than making them different. My third point of comparison is this. Comparison creates gaps, and celebration builds bridges. Comparison creates gaps, and celebration builds bridges. When I was struggling with comparing myself to other people, and I'm preaching this because this this has been my testimony, that I compared myself so much, I was so insecure in high school, I was so insecure in my freshman year of college, They don't compare myself. This guy is going to be a better pastor than I am. This guy is going to become a better preacher than I am. This guy is better. This guy is better. This girl is going to reach far. That girl is going to be so much smarter than I am. So much so that I focus on their assignment and making it mine. But instead of comparing myself to them, I decided on celebrating their achievements. Because I was reading a book on just spirituality and all that. And it told me to celebrate other people. And so I tried. So instead of telling them, you know, comparing myself and bashing on them with my head, I told them, you know, good job on that course. Good job on that test. You know, that was a good shot. Or you know what? Good job. You know, I have the same shirt, but you wear it better than I do. You know, you have, you know, we got the same shoes, but I think they rock better on you. We we run the same race, but you're way faster than I am. And so when I started highlighting their gifts, their abilities, and start and stop and stop downplaying my own abilities. I started focusing on positivity and stop with the negativity. When we stop comparing ourselves, whether it be the church members or guests or anybody, we start creating bridges between us. And just to illustrate, just one more time, I was driving over to uh, the York SDA Church, and I was I was driving. I don't know if this has happened to you. There's a truck in front of me. And this truck is not moving. I mean, okay, it is moving, but it just feels like it's not moving. And as I'm driving behind it, you know, these small cars start driving faster and they pass it. They pass the truck, they pass it, they pass it, they pass it. And you know, the the truck was not going as fast as they were because it was carrying more than they were. I, I I started wondering what if the truck started comparing itself to the people to the to the cars that were passing it? First of all, we would have many accidents. Because if the truck was comparing itself to the cars that were passing it and it felt bad, it would accelerate and it could kill somebody. And what if the cars started comparing themselves to the truck, oh, because it has more than us. So let's go at the same pace as he is. It would be stupid because then we would have so much traffic. We would have cars that are going slow when they have the capability of going faster. Here's my point. Some people are meant to go slower because maybe God wants them to carry more things than they're able to. And maybe God wants other people to go faster because He needs them to get to their destination. It's not just about the destination, it's about the journey. And you will know about your destination, you will know about your journey if you know the Lord, if you know who sent you. You see, the job of the car is to get from place A to place B, and that's good. But the job of the truck is to deliver from place A to place B. The truck is in charge of delivering products, it's in charge of delivering things, and the cars are just carrying their families. Find out what your assignment is, and don't just focus on the destination, focus on the journey that molds you that makes you capable. That is my message for today, and stop comparing yourself with the capability. Focus on your reliability, on your availability and celebrate other people. God bless you.